1: and welcome to another episode of the AFTN Soccer Show, There's Still Time, broadcasting live on YouTube. And this is also our podcast recording for episode 415. Thank you so much if you stayed with us on YouTube. We've had a few technical issues tonight. Zoom totally crashed on me earlier on, but delighted to introduce a Fab Four. We're going to look at a lot of white caps and MLS chat So, introducing my usual co-host, Steve Pander. How are you doing tonight, Steve? Not too bad. Nice and rested. Joining us all the way from Seattle, I thought finally we might be able to get him on the show and laugh at him because the Sounders lost. But no, not able to do that yet. Welcome from Radio Cascadia, Stephen Egan.
2: So glad to be back, Michael. Great to see you.
1: And welcome to the lady who asks diabetic footballers what their favourite candy bar is it's Harjit Jahal
0: Hello, nice to see everyone
1: and bravely wearing a New England Patriots hat after my team thumped your team on Sunday and now we're going to beat Stephen's team I'm sure next time out as well I was going to wear a 49 this thing tonight but instead I've, I've chosen to wear my East Fife tartan top available for £45 from the East Fife shop Lovely. I recommend it highly. And also another fun thing arrived in the mail for me today. You may remember me going on about Faroe Islands football. Well, I got my Vikinger badge. I ordered this via a seller in Russia. So it's a Faroe Island badge from Russia to Canada. That's the kind of international show we are here at AFTN.
3: You realise the coincidence that you ordered something from Russia and now you're uh, computer that wasn't working later on, but
1: once it arrived. Wow, yes. Is this a bug? Is it actually a badge? Who can say? Maybe I should get rid of the packaging ASAP. But we do have a lot to, to chat to you about tonight. Two Whitecaps games. We're going to look at how the MLS West is shaping up and just just some general MLS chat in particular. But, but we'll kick things off by saying... This is recording episode four hundred and fifteen of the podcast as well. It's definitely worth listening to the podcast version as well. Otherwise you won't get to hear the wonderful music I've selected this week, which is from a concept album all about Genghis Khan and Mongolia. And I mean that that's surely worth a listen. I can see Stephen is getting excited by the thought of that already, so we'll we'll make sure he gets that. But we are gonna kick things off talking white caps for the first few parts. Before we delve into tonight's game against the Sounders though, I want to take us back three days to the win against San Jose. It was looking bleak at half-time, 1-0 down, and then everything came good in the second half, Ali Adnan scored a beautiful free kick, Tosin Ricketts got a clutch winner, all of a sudden, the gloom is lifted, the Whitecaps' play of hopes are back on the table, perhaps, before we get into the Seattle game, let's just look at the San Jose game. I will just get your thoughts on what you made of that. We'll start with Steve. What did you make of that game against the Earthquakes?
3: Well, I think it's, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it could be the first time they came back from being down at halftime. Or am I, am I wrong on that? I'm not sure. Um, but it, it was an excellent second game. Time that, this season. It was the second time. I did not expect them to come back in this game. It seems like that they don't have that in them. Uh, we've talked about it many times before. Uh, when they go down a goal, it seems like they're uh, they're they just the, the momentum is out, the wind is out of their sails, whatever you want to, whatever remark you want to use. And but they came back, I think the Ali Adnan goal probably got them boosted up. It's something that came out of nowhere. And then uh, Ricketts with that excellent, like, and that's something we've talked about many times over the years get somebody on the back post, you never know when, when the ball's going to get there. Um, uh, there's the number of players that are. Like Wondolowski's probably made a killing at being in the right spot at the right time, and Ricketts oh, is t- that type right of player. Has, yeah, yeah, but against uh, for Ricketts, he's kind of that kind of player that will go to the net basically and 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 get, pick up stuff and just slot goals in from like two inches away.
1: Har, what did what did you make of that game on Saturday? I know you were excited to be watching it.
0: I was thrilled to be watching it. I think uh, Mark DeSanto's halftime talk, it must have been some hell of a talk because, you know, the Whitecaps came out in the second half with a purpose. They were really buzzing around the San Jose net. You could tell how important that half was to at least tie a a goal and then go get a winning goal. And so they really, they really bunkered down and worked hard. I really think San Jose didn't pressure too much in the second half and the Whitecaps really took it to them. So from that standpoint, it was quite... Uh, quite a big win for the team, almost a must win uh, going into that game as we are joined by Chewbacca.
1: Yeah, it, it said Chewbacca is waiting to join and I was like, will I let this person in? <laughs> 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 I, I, Is it Chewbacca or is it a tribute to Stephen Egan? Let, let, let's bring in the Seattle Chewbacca though just now. That beard is looking really, really fuller in the last couple of weeks since we've seen you. Is this your playoff beard? Have you started it early? Or are you just not going to shave until the Sounders are no longer MLS Cup champions?
2: Ooh, that might be a while. No, it's a lockdown beard. It's got you know, I have to find some way to pass the time, measure the time. Uh, and frankly, I don't have a reason to shave it until that until that stops, right? And so I'm, I'm committed to lockdown, but I've got to find some way to measure it. Um, as far as the Whitecaps against San Jose go, man, I thought that sure was a gutsy second half. And timely for once, with a real moment of quality from Ali Adnan. Uh, but to get the goal right after the break, really a great spot for momentum. And uh, what a big performance in, in the most important match of the year at the time. And, and Chewy, what what did
1: you make of that game on Saturday? I, I don't think I could have put it better myself. And that sounds very similar, I think, to what MDS's halftime team chat would have been. A couple of things I just want to talk about from that San Jose game. The the goal that was given up, and I asked MDS about this in the, the pre-game chat on Monday. It was another ball over the heads of a defender. The full-back pulled more into the middle of the pitch. Unmarked guy at the back, slots at home. Now, MDS said he felt this was a bit different to the other goals that have been given up it looked exactly the same to, to all the other goals that, that had been given up to me, Yeah,
0: I don't know if they practiced that play 500 times, 600 times or 700 times, but we keep seeing it. It's almost like deja vu. And I think I said to you that it looked like Nowinski was having to cover two players on that play, which is tough just to cover one guy. I think maybe Ranko's caught out a little bit if Jake goes to one guy. the ball could have gone to the other guy so i think maybe it's just familiarity playing with ranko and trying to get some sort of sense of where he's going to be where jake needs to be and then also the cross that came in was wonderful right on the money so all in all it was not a good goal bad coverage great cross and you know san jose thankfully that was the only goal they got
3: but it always it always seems like that whenever this happens it's always jake's original man that scores the goal and not the not the person that whoever he's covering for scores. It always seems to be... Uh, I know you're not saying it's the same goal, but it's got a very good um, streamlined resemblance to all the other goals.
1: Yeah, I, it definitely was. There was a lot of blame to go around for that one. I don't want to delve too much more really into that game. When I, when I mentioned that we weren't doing a show after that one and we're going to wait and do one on Tuesday... Someone had tweeted going, "Oh yeah, great! D- don't do the show where it's going to be all positive. Let's do the show where it's going to be all negative after a defeat. That's us, because th- there's no there's no views, there's no clicks, there's no listens in positivity. Folks just want to hear us be really miserable. That's that's why we do a whitecap show. That's why I've started doing these nice five podcast as well. Misery makes money. That that's my my hashtag. I think." let's delve more into what's happened tonight now that win over San Jose there's no doubting that what that would have done for the morale coming from behind everything like that I, I just think would have been a massive boost to to the Whitecaps you look at their last four fixtures and there's two that were must wins that San Jose game the LA Galaxy game Sandwiched in between those, though, were the two tough Cascadia games, Seattle and Portland. Out of the two of those, Seattle was the game I just didn't fancy us taking anything from. We have not beat Seattle since April 2017. And the games haven't been close a lot. They haven't been close for for much of this season. And... I mean, going into this, I didn't expect anything really to come out of it. I thought maybe a draw at best would be good. When you saw the lineups for tonight, and I'll start with Stephen on this, were you surprised at the lineup that Vancouver put out? Or did you think this might be a a game that they might rest some guys coming so soon after that game against San Jose?
2: I was surprised. Uh, I thought that we would see at least one of Cavallini or Montero start. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to fault Mark Dos Santos too much because I think the game plan worked really well for 45 minutes. Um, the change in formation worked better than I thought it would for quite a while, better, better than I, than I uh, gave him credit for before kickoff. Uh, but that being said, he wasn't able to make changes after the break quickly enough to, to bring on an attacking threat before Seattle put the game out of reach again and so we're still kind of in this limbo where where Whitecaps never really have an attacking presence when the game's on the line.
1: And Har, I know we were having a little bit of a chat before the game. For, for those looking in as neutrals, or for those maybe that hadn't been on MDS's conference call on Monday, where he did mention that he was going to really mix the, the, the lineup up quite a bit, I'm sure it would have come as a surprise. It wasn't a lineup to a lot of people I think that would have screamed going for it it certainly looked a defensive lineup
0: it looked like a lineup kind of similar to what we saw when they played Chicago at MLS back where you kind of play defensively and in second half if it's close if it's scoreless you bring on your big guns and you try to you know go at them and get a result the only difference is they're playing Seattle tonight and so that's a bit risky and you know, for the first, for the most part, it worked for the first 45. You know, MBS had a good plan and Seattle was frustrated. But the longer you try and play defensively against a strong lineup like Seattle, it's dangerous because, you know, they only need one chance to score. And once they got that first goal, you know, they got another one. They were buzzing around the net in the second half. So it was it was a little risky. I would maybe have brought on a Cava or a Freddie to start the second half to just kind of push forward a little bit more, maybe get some attacking threats. But all in all, it was a good strategy, a good idea uh, from MDS to start the game. You know, seven Canadians, so a lot of can CanCon out
1: there. Now, Steve, MDS made a big deal before the game, and he spoke after the game tonight as well, about the fact that they were having to play their second game in 72 hours. The Sounders had an extra two days rest because they played on Thursday. There was no other way that this game could have been played this week because Portland are at home on Wednesday. If they had played the game on Thursday, then you'd have been playing the next game against Portland three days later. For me, this this was the best I think we could have had because I don't think we were going to get anything from it, no matter whether we had fresh legs, the full team out there, whatever. So just go for it now and give us this extra bit of time to refresh and recover for what is now an absolutely massive game against Portland on Sunday.
3: Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect much from this game even before the lineup was given out. Um it's it, the Seattle's had their number all this time, and the fact that you have, like you said, the 72 hour uh turnaround, that wasn't enough. Um, so I agree that it was probably a game that you want to play for the draw. Um, I think I brought it up on many shows before. This is similar to uh, what Montreal put out against Vancouver years ago after the World Cup. It was like, I think it was seven defenders and four, uh, three midfielders and maybe one attacker, but it might have been seven defenders and uh, actually, sorry, seven defenders and three midfielders out, out for the outfield players. Um, so it, it, you had to do something where, I think this was a game where you wanted to keep the goal differential down as, <laughs> as low as possible, uh, so you didn't uh, become the worst in case it came to that where goal differential came into play.
1: I, I, this was one of those games. I don't think goal differential is anything that the Whitecaps can salvage at, at this point. The thing that they've got going for them is the fact that they haven't got any draws. Yeah, um, that's the one thing.
3: And and I think Stephen said that a couple of weeks ago where that could be their gimmick, where they just play the, play
1: the season without drawing a game. Getting back to the game. Now, Stephen, was this not peak COVID MLS? Seattle traveling to play the home game against vancouver in portland that's that's 2020 in a nutshell really you know i
2: i just can't say it any better than that and uh you know i mean it just on the face of it feels like the start of some type of weird soccer stress dream more than it does do an introduction to a real major league soccer game right but it's just it is so weird it's so odd to see the the whitecaps tarps in providence park and to see the the, you know, navy blue projected on the, on the seats of the stadium. It's just all wrong. Um, Ryan Schmetzer uh, before the game talked a lot uh, this week about how difficult, you know, he thinks it is what, what a tough task it is for white caps uh, to, you know, live out of a hotel, play in somebody else's stadium, be away from their families uh, during all of this. And, and uh, you know, I think you have to give them a lot of credit for the results that they have taken. Uh, Har, I think I saw your tweet earlier today, you know, uh, but before today white caps had been, uh, extremely good at Providence uh, when they weren't playing
1: Portland right yeah um, and so oh, it's just you I know mean, I mean, they're so... still unbeaten if they don't have to play a Cascadian team there you go right just tweak, tweak that fact a little bit
2: that was See, a I, fun fact right there I, I think that regardless of what happens for the rest of the season uh, th- that is something special that record at Providence Park in that difficult circumstance that's that's something to build some confidence in uh, excuse me. Off of in the club, even mm. if it isn't doesn't translate to playoffs, even if it doesn't translate to trophy, it's it's um a difficult circumstance where they came together and really succeeded. Right. I'm
3: yeah. wondering if there's a, a a correlate like a comparison somewhere else in the world, another league where you would see two rivals play in another rivals mm. um a, a, a home stadium.
1: I mean, the only time you've maybe had it was. When Wembley wasn't getting used to host like cup finals and cup semi finals. So you you were playing games at different places around England, but it probably
3: happens in Champions League quite a bit. If you got there, might not be your full rivals, but you got two top teams playing in another top teams uh, uh, stadium.
1: We're going to delve a little bit into that side of things just uh, later on in the show as well, because I've I've got some audio that we will play in the podcast just off. MDS and Kava and, and Andy Rose talking about that they want to make this mean something. They don't want to be away from their family and going through all this for it to count for nothing. And I mean, they still are in, in the mix in the in the playoffs and everything like that. So, well, I mean, we'll look at that as well. But it was a tough game. It was a pretty boring first half. Very little to, to talk about in that. It was the last minute, the 44th minute really before the Sounders started to to put anything up really to to kind of test the Whitecaps. Now, Stephen, we've spoken before and uh, speaking to, to Jackson uh, as well, good friend of ours uh, on the radio down there at KJR in Seattle. It's kind of known that Seattle struggle to break down teams that kind of bunker against them. But as Har was saying and as Steve was saying, there's only so much you can bunker against a team before eventually they, they seem to break it down. That that first half, when it got to half time, did you feel confident that it was gonna be a repeat of a couple of weeks ago and they would just kind of find a, a different gear in that second half?
2: Relatively so. And you know, I mean I think at the very worst it looked like nil nil was probably as bad as Seattle would come out of it. Um Schmitzer men- mentioned after the game uh, that at, at the half, the main change they made was that they pushed Paolo and Svensson a line higher up, or excuse me, uh, they pushed them uh, beyond the attacking band of three for Vancouver, just pushed them advanced beyond that. And, you know, he thought it really opened up the space and the passing channels for him. And so I, I was kind of struck by the idea that, that, you know, it took one tweak from Seattle at halftime mm-hmm. to kind of break the game open. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, like, like, you know, I mentioned earlier with Cavallini and Montero, um, that MDS wasn't able to play, you know, a similar card at half because, you know, Seattle's not just going to sit on the game like that when it's not going their way. Um, and so I thought, you know, m- m- maybe that's the criticism is that it was great for 45 minutes, great defensive plan, but then there has to be the idea for the evolution. What, what is Seattle going to do from here and how are we going to counter it? And, and I think that maybe the idea there
1: was a little bit weak. That's, that's a good point, because you can have all the plans in the world. MDS obviously had plans as to what he was going to do in the second half, but a lot of that depends on the, the opposition. And you had the best Seattle team out there against quite a, a weak depth side of, of the Whitecaps. I mean, at 0-0 at the half hour, it it was a good performance up to that point. I know it's not exciting, and I know a lot of folk watching at home will be bored, but to me... It was perfect. It was perfectly executed. They'd got to 0-0. They'd frustrated Seattle. Did you think they could keep that going for 45 minutes or did you expect it kind of to unravel the way it did?
0: I thought it would unravel just because I've seen that episode before when they played Seattle at the beginning of the month, scoreless 0-0 going into the second half and then they scored three goals against the Whitecaps. So I kind of thought Seattle would kind of turn up and really you know, crank up the offense. The Whitecaps did have those guys coming in off the bench, so they had a chance, they had a shout to kind of keep it close. So from that standpoint, you kind of seen this movie before, kind of knew what was going to happen. So, yeah, at least it was more exciting, more entertaining second half. VAR, I decided to show up. So that was familiar too.
1: And they did better. They only gave two goals up this time. Obviously, yeah, for, they didn't get one, but for me,
3: I would have thrown caution to the wind and just made three subs at halftime, and just because because if you know Brian Schuster is going to make uh, adjustments, why not make adjustments to his adjustments that you think mm. he's going to make? I I would have just done that because there was nothing to lose. If he was going to bring in those players in like at the fifty eighth minute or whatever, anyways, or sixtieth minute, what's another fifteen minutes if you're going to go for it, right? And and you're going to have the advantage of Portland playing on Wednesday, so you get an extra day off uh, in advance of what Portland's going to get too. So why not take a chance and see what you throw, like basically catch Seattle off guard. There's no, there's Mm -hmm. nothing to lose at that point.
2: No Schmetzer mentioned specifically that uh, they planned for uh, a different formation from the white cap, specifically a back four and being able to kind of match up two forwards, pushing Morris high next to Rui Diaz and matching them up against the center backs. And that it really threw them off to have three center backs back there. Um, I think that was the key. I think you mentioned it, Steve is that, is that, um, but, you know, MDS managed to surprise Sounders for 45 minutes, and I think that would have been the cool thing, would have been another surprise at the break. So I I, I am right there with you. I think halftime changes. Something else to surprise Seattle, and, and a result was there.
3: Yeah, and when you're the team that's, like, been beaten around by Seattle for so long, you got to keep pulling up these surprises and then catch them off guard. Uh, do something that they don't expect. And I'm, I wish more... Football managers or coaches, whatever you want to say, do these kind of things to keep instead of doing the typical wait till the 60th minute or wait till you get scored on and then make the substitutions. Do it beforehand. Catch them off guard.
1: Hmm, Interesting. Chewy, what what was your thoughts at halftime? Mm. Yeah. Well, clearly he was surprised,
3: but he expected what happened in the second half there.
1: Oh, do, do you speak whatever language Chewy speaks? a little bit
3: here and there i can I, i picked up a little bit here and
1: there yeah that is a good time i think for us to to take a little bit of a break if you listen to this on the podcast we're gonna be back looking at the second half after we hear the first of tonight's songs about genghis Khan, and we'll be back
4: with that after this hi i'm mark dos santos and you're listening to the aftn soccer show
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. And kicking off this part, it's not the final song from this month's Artist of the Month, Splodgyness Abounds, because we've got something special lined up for you this show, and this is the whole reason that I picked Splodgyness Abounds to be our Artist of the Month for October. This song you heard there was Genghis Khan, taken from the very rare 1999 cassette, Holidays in Mongolia. This was a 10-track album released by Splodgyness Abounds lead singer Max Splodge, and it was a concept album all about Genghis Khan, the Mongols, and Mongolia, painting a picture of the rampaging hordes from Genghis Khan's time being reinvented into modern day society, still living in their felt tents, but with their ball haircuts, wearing plimsolls on their feet and eating bags of chips all the time. And ultimately, Genghis Khan rising from the dead to take over the world once again. Now, you might think that is a a strange kind of concept album, but it all stems from Max Splodge going for a DNA test in 1999 and being told that he was a direct descendant of Genghis Khan himself. Inspiring him to write this album. That was never actually released as a CD or a vinyl record, but some tracks from it did appear on Splodgyness Abound's 2000 CD, I Don't Know. And we kicked things off there with Genghis Khan, there's three more crackers to come. I'm sure you can hardly wait. Shui, you, you're a, a big fan of Mongolia, I'm sure. They live in felt tents. That seems right up your alley. He, he sounds in distress there. And another kind of animal that sounded in distress were the whitecaps in that second half, especially in the, the first 15 minutes. For For those that don't know... This was Raul Rudy Diaz's first game back for the Sounders. He had been away playing for Peru. Uh, caught COVID off Paddington Bear. Shouldn't have shared those marmalade sandwiches. So he'd been in quarantine. I think the Whitecaps defenders thought he was still in quarantine, Stephen, because the social distancing they gave him on that goal was, like, gigantic. And ball came on from New Rui Diaz finishes it, flag goes up, offside, we all breathe a sigh of relief. They played the replay and it's like, yeah, he's not offside. MDS is adamant that it should not have been overturned. He said to him it was not clear and obvious. I think it was. What did you think? I think you can definitely make the argument.
2: I see where MDS is coming from that it's not clear and obvious. It's a very tight call. Um, You know, there are people who want to see the the decision on the field stand as it's as it's made when it's really tight, right? Um, For me, I feel like this whole offside thing. You know, what's going on in the EPL, uh, whatever discussion we're having about it here. I feel like it's really pretty simple. Where I feel like the law, I'm not certain, but I think the laws of the game mention that you have to derive an advantage from being offside, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I just wonder if you're looking at whether somebody is, you know, one pixel offside on the screen compared to the defender, how can a person possibly derive an advantage from that? Right. And so I, I just I I think that the margins that people get down to analyzing today in terms of the offside decision, oh, I think yeah. it's silly. I think it's it, it's it, it, unless the play actually came down to a to a micrometer in terms of who got to the ball first or something like that, we should. We should just look at it in terms of did you derive an advantage by being in front of the of the last man? And in this case, I don't, I don't think that Rui Diaz is clearly in front of the ball. For, for me, it's even. I, I I think it's right to give the goal, um, but I can definitely see why MDS would feel aggrieved. Uh, so sorry if my tangent about uh about EPL tangents is not. Um, uh, well, at least we so don't have it. that
1: stupid line because that's what's ruining it because you yeah. are talking about a pixel. That's basically what it, what it comes down to, Steve.
3: And, and the thing is, is, is uh, there was a er, game, obviously the game earlier, Montreal, in, I think what they were playing... Nashville. No, Nashville, Nashville, they are playing Nashville. Uh, same colours. Uh, Nashville, they were playing Nashville and uh, there was a goal late that Quinto scored and they was called offside and I felt it was more onside than the Rui Diaz goal. It was actually felt more onside and they didn't, oh, they didn't even review it. It, wasn't, it didn't even go to review. So it's, it's, it's odd to me like where, like I agree that if it was called offside on that play, it probably wasn't, there wasn't enough evidence there to overturn it. Um, it should have been, it should have left it as is in, in that case. And in, in then in the quintal goal, I thought that was enough evidence to, it would, should have been reviewed. It should have been given a goal to Montreal. And you know me; I'm not willing to give goals to Montreal that easily. So uh, it's odd the way that, and again, this comes to again to the thing where I think you need a central location where you have a few people, and you're not rotating people in and out of opinions of what's offside and what's onside. It should be very uh, one way to do it.
1: He, he was ahead, like when the ball was played out wide to Nuhu. I think he was offside there, but of course, this is. Just then second phase, you can argue. I know Manuel Veth says, it doesn't matter if it's clear or obvious, it's either offside or not offside. But what are your thoughts on it?
0: It was really hard to say, but I kind of think that, you know, if you're going to call it offside, it needs to be 100%, you know, the other way if you're going to reverse it. And I don't know that that was clear enough to overturn it. So, you know, I guess... Or I kinda, obvious.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah. So I kind of have to agree... <laughs> With uh, Mark DeSantos on that, uh, I'm just reading the quote sheet now. Uh, there's a lot of quotes.
3: I, I think people are uh, misunderstanding what clear and obvious means. I think clear obvious doesn't mean that it's whether it's offside or not. Clear and obvious means that is there a clear and obvious mistake in, in the in mm-hmm. what was called on the field and should it be reviewed? Not if it was clear and obvious offside. that's not, that's not what clear and obvious means. Is whether it should be reviewed or not.
2: I, I guess just my general take on it is, and this is broader than just the the moment in tonight's matches. That you know, I mean, if it's too close to call, I'd like to see it go to the attacker, and most certainly, I'd like to see him keep the flag down and, and review it afterwards, and, and let the play play out. Right. Um, so for for me, I'd like to I'd like to see that that play given as a goal, just in general as a soccer fan. But I'd like to see it given, you know, against anybody else as well. So,
3: although no, I agree really, with I, I, agree, I agree that with a fully, it should always. If you want to get more people in- interested in the game, you got to give it a little bit more of an advantage to the attacking side. Um, because it, you, as we know, everybody complains, oh, uh, soccer's a 1-0 game or mm-hmm. 1-1 or something. There's no harm in having extra goals in there.
1: Well, no, I mean, up to that point, it hadn't been very exciting. But then it's like things kind of went off the rails a little bit in the second half after that goal. I mean, Chewy, first of all, was that offside for you? 1-0 Seattle, 54 minutes. Six minutes later, it's 2-0. Rui Diaz has another hand in the in the goal. Ladero finishes it off. A lovely curling finish, Steven. And Rui Diaz just skinned Ranko, just kind of left him in his wake. Great cutback, but that finish from Ladero, that is the quality that the Whitecaps lack most of the time. Cavallini's got it in him, but most of the time that link-up play... I think that's what we would love Cava and Freddy Montero to be, but what Ladero and Rui Diaz have just seems on a different level. They sure have executed it against the Whitecaps
2: in the last few years, um, and have earned results uh, with it. Um, That being said, you know I just I I think that right after the first goal on 54 minutes, you can kind of see the game change, and it's it's complete that there's so much space. Sounders look rampant frankly whitecaps kind of look like they have their heads on fire a little bit and it's just there's no there's no real plan for how how whitecaps are going to get a foothold in the game gain an attacking presence and keep seattle from just you know tearing them apart at the other end And, and frankly it wasn't the first chance that they scored on after the first one that they got right i mean they had a couple of chances just in those six minutes and so i just i thought there was a little bit of inevitability about the second one whereas the first one was 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 the game? Can white cap sit in? You know, that was the, the proposition MDS set up. Can white cap sit in and keep Seattle out? And they did a great job of that for as long as they did it. But once that proposition fell apart, I mean, man, it just. It, it, after the first goal, to me, it didn't look like it was going to be a competitive game from there, unfortunately. And sure enough, no. it only took six minutes.
1: Well, I mean, it kind of felt like a training match after they went to 2-0. That last half hour, Seattle. Well, I was going to say it was easy for them. The last 10 minutes, it wasn't that easy. Uh, I mean, hard. The, the Caps really turned it on in that last 10 minutes. They had a couple of chances. Ali Adnan had another free kick that was past the post. Dahomey went down in the box, which I, I've seen them given. I'm not sure it was a penalty. There was definite contact. He kind of... The Seattle defender won the ball first and then Dahomey kind of hit him. I mean, How did how did you see the last 10 minutes and what did you make of that Dahomey incident?
0: Yeah, the Whitecaps had a few chances to get maybe a goal back and make it closer or even try and make it two goals there. Uh, the Dahomey play was interesting. I don't know why it, it didn't at least go to VAR. I thought that should have been something that happened. You know, Cavallini had a half bicycle kick attempt that was a great effort and Ali Adnan had another uh, long distance shot on target but it went wide so they had a few chances and I I think as I said earlier maybe if they had brought on these big guys at the start of the second half maybe they would have created more opportunities or had more scoring chances so you kind of you're playing with fire if you're going to wait and then bring them on later because then Seattle's already up ahead and then you got to push forward without getting ca- caught on the counter. So it, it was really a mix. They had some chances, but it was just a bit too late for them to try and, you know, get a result. So uh, it's uh much ado about nothing.
1: I mean, the Dahomey incident would have been viewed reviewed because they do quickly look at that. It just must've been deemed that uh, it wasn't a, again, a clear and obvious one. I mean, Steven, did you think it was a penalty?
2: Um, I, uh, I, first off, I did see on Twitter that there was a brief VAR check for it, and that they, they determined no penalty. I saw an angle on local Seattle television, on the local Seattle broadcast, uh, that was, uh, for for me, definitive uh, and clear that he won the ball, and it was, excuse me, that Arriaga won the ball, and it was a clean challenge. Hmm. Um, and to me, it's just that simple, honestly. I, I just, I've seen a good angle of it.
1: I think, I don't think it was a penalty. Steve? Yeah.
3: I, but I I think, I think the, the homie like uh, histrionics that he's done so far this season has probably played into it. What mm-hmm. I'd like to see is them to bring some players in and ask them not to dive for at least half a season so <laughs> that they could build a reputation of not diving. And then, so when, when they need the goals, then they could dive or do something else. And they'll know that, you know, this guy doesn't have a reputation. They need to like spread it out a little bit better.
0: So diving tactics for the
1: team. Yeah. I, I mean, the the dark arts can work and benefit you, but once you get a reputation, especially in this league, it's a reputation that doesn't shift from you. We've seen it with Tashira. We saw it with Fernandez. Before that, it's it's a tough one. I don't mind it sometimes. It, it is a blight in the game, I know. But but you but you got to
3: pick your spots. You can't yeah. do it like in the middle of you know the fifty yard touchline or or something like that, where you're going to be like diving at that point. You gotta pick your spots where you're gonna um, uh, where you're gonna dive and where you're not.
1: I had a, a good chat with Kristen Knowles during the the Forge Concacaf uh, League game a week or so ago. Time means nothing anymore. I can't remember when that even was, and we were talking about like the dark arts at the end, and it feels like Canadian teams and Canadian players have finally learned to do that on the international stage, and I think we've needed to do it in CONCACAF because other countries are doing it. Other teams from other countries are, are doing it. I think that's an aspect of the game I would have been good at. Crap at the rest of football, but I think me and dark arts are, are like made for each other. But if if other teams are doing it and getting away with it, fair enough. But once you've got VAR, you can't expect to get away with stuff like that. I mean, that, that's it's just stupidity. Anyway... That's our chat about the game. We're going to delve into some of the the YouTube chat and then some other MLS things in a bit. For those of you listening on the podcast, I'm going to bring you some post-game audio now from both head coaches. We're going to hear from Mark DeSantis, but first of all, we're going to hear from Seattle Sounders head coach, Brian Schmetzer. So let's hear now from the gaffers. It's
5: obviously a, a big moment for the club. I think we've... You know, I'd like to even push that back. Even the USL days and NASL days, this club has always been a winning club. It's something that is within the DNA, the culture of our club. I reminded the players before the game about the great players that we've had at this club and what does it take to make it to the playoffs and, you know, other sports franchises and how and asking them questions so that they can reflect on you know, the job that they do. What I would come back with, Maz, is that the reason why we've been in the playoffs for 12 straight years, and obviously Ziggy laid a great foundation, very grateful for that. But the reason why this club has made it 12 years in a row is because the players always are committed to themselves. They're committed to their teammates. They're committed to the fans. And it's that type of culture that can drive, that can be successful, that can win championships. If the players come collectively and they believe in themselves, that is the strongest version of a team. And so that's what we have with the Sounders. That's what we have with this particular group. I've noticed it. I've noticed it even back in Orlando in the bubble. Even when things are tough, that group, they stick together. And so I'm awfully, awfully proud of this particular version of the Sounders, and I'm awfully proud of the club for the success that we've had in getting in the playoffs for 12 years.
6: And, then just to follow up, in this game, both goals came from defenders passing the ball forward. I know there must have been some message about people running, but what does that say about that back line and the ability to look downfield and hit that runner?
5: Well, I mean, look – we have been – all credit to Jimmy Triore. Uh We have had Nuhu take 10 balls after each practice, crossing balls, different spots on the field, his crossing references. The kid played well in the second half. Kudos to him. And then the other balls, the other things that we talk about, you know, we're a fast-switch team. We're a transition team. So the ability for us to – whenever the ball turns over or whenever there's an opportunity – if the opponent is playing a high line like Vancouver did tonight, we always like to try and turn our opponents. And so I would credit both goals, not just to the back four, but I would say that's how we are. That's, that's how we are as a team. That's what we do.
4: No, I thought in the first half, you know, we had a really young squad and guys that came on. And although we didn't generate – offensively. We were sometimes flashes of danger in behind using Teal, but n- of course not not enough. Uh, I think our defensive organization was spot on. Uh, we were able to frustrate them, not giving them space, bring the game to where I wanted the game to bring to go. Uh, unfortunately, when we start the second uh, they get that goal, that in my opinion uh it needs to be clear and obvious to turn it uh, to overturn it uh, i'm not sure it's clear and obvious i just saw the images um but overall their possession and their 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 weapons made it hard on us when we conceded that goal uh we changed tactically we We took more risks. Uh, We came back uh, with uh, some of the subs that we thought we would do them around the 60th. Um, But then you give Seattle what they want. Seattle is a team that wants to play in transition and the mistakes of the opponent. And then uh, they get that goal that I thought we had to defend it better. Uh, unfortunately, Rui Diaz does a very good play on Ranko. We could have controlled that better, and then um, they get the 2-0. Uh, we tried after. We, we tried our best to to press, to push, to to create. Um, I think it's a penalty shot on, on Dajome. Uh, but, but again, you know, I think Seattle deserved the win. Uh, we knew it would be hard for us tonight, uh, based in all the circumstances but I think um, there's positive things because of playing so many young guys against an opponent that have on the field the the MLS Cup a winning team uh, and even a little bit improved uh, because of Gomez being there um, I, I I support 1,000 percent our players I they have all my support. I'm proud of their work. I'm proud of what they had to do almost 60 hours after uh, we have a, a tough game against San Jose that was demanding. So uh, now what I told them is uh, let's go, let's move on. Uh, what's next is Portland. We'll have everybody recovered, everybody healthy, everybody um, being able to play the the, the game and, and we'll be ready to go.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the decisions you had to make in putting together your starting 11 tonight? Obviously, uh, not much time between games, so uh, you wanted to. did you want to rest some guys knowing that you're playing Portland this weekend as well?
4: No, it's not what I wanted. It's what I had to do. Uh, some of the guys were very tight in their muscles. Some were risking injury. Some of them were, uh, were not able to recover on time to play this game so I spoke about it I think in the 48 hours prior to this game I don't think we were playing in uh, the same ground when it comes to recovery I'm very frustrated that this game had to be played in a schedule like that I spoke about that a lot before the game and we had to make changes unfortunately we had to rotate a lot uh, but the positive of that is that we saw a lot of guys that, that give the good answer, that push, that tried to help the team. Uh, and again, I, I'm proud of the, the effort of the guys tonight. It was very demanding and very hard for them to play uh, again today. It would have been different if we play this game tomorrow.
1: One good thing about Brian Schmetzer is this is kind of our Halloween show as well. That's why Chewbacca has joined us. And for me, Brian Schmetzer is always in in costume, Stephen, as Mr. Garrison from South Park. Brilliant shout. Very nice, Michael. I love it. And once you see that, you'll not... Next time you see him or you're in a call with him, you will just hear Mr. Garrison. Okay.
0: (laughs) Does he have a Mr. Hat?
1: There's a question for Stephen to ask the next time, because as everyone knows, Brian Schmetzer is so jovial in his press conferences, he loves that kind of banter. Always good for a laugh, is old Brian Schmetzer.
3: Somebody should, like, on April, next April Fool's, leave, like, a Mr. Hat puppet or something on his, like, the press conference table or something like that, just as passing by.
1: we actually talking of Brian Schmetzer. I was having a discussion with a a Seattle journalist, and... I said to him, have you noticed every time Brian Schmetzer has a press conference, he's always writing things down in his notebook. I take it you've noticed that, Stephen. Do you know what he writes? Do you know what it is? Do you know what he's writing?
2: I, I think he takes notes on the game. Um, oftentimes mm. he's got the stat sheet from the match in front of him, and that's what he's looking at. And uh, when journalists will reference one of the stats on the page, he will frequently circle it, make note of it. Um, I think that oftentimes what he's trying to do is he's trying to organize his thoughts just for what he's trying to say to the press. Um, you know, he wants to be sure to, to single out the guys who he thinks played well on and on. Um, he gets a fair deal of softballs, but he really likes to make sure that he works in, um, what he thinks to be the appropriate praise for his side. He's, you know, he's really a player first manager. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in like a cliche way, like everybody else's, I mean that he'll, he'll tell you, um, to the detriment of everything else that the Sounders are the relationship between the players and the fans and that the, every, everything else is extraneous. Um, he actually got, it was really odd. You know, you, you talk about asking him questions, jovial press conference. Um, he is a very jovial guy. You can have great banter with him during press conferences. Someone asked him about his 400th match in charge of the Sounders the other day as he hit 400 uh, as the manager between USL and MLS. And he got really set off about it. Like he got, he got really ticked, like he wouldn't answer it. And he, he did oh. not want to talk about, about himself. The players had won that night. The Seattle Sounders had won that night. His team had worked hard. The players had worked hard and he just was not interested in having anybody take the focus, take the message away from the players on the field who won the game. Um, and so I don't know if that's instructive or illuminating or anything, but I I, I thought that was interesting. Mm. At, at first I thought it was kind of an abrasive of answer uh, but when you read into it more i think it's just he's he's really focused on that he's really focused on on the sounders belong to the players
1: well, yeah i mean that's excellent and i i thought that was what he was writing down as well like stats or just trying to get his thoughts in order now the journalist i was speaking to swears and i'm not making this up he swears that he saw the notebook and all that's in it is doodles he's not writing anything he's just like doodling away So somebody needs to get a swatch at his notebook and see. Yeah, but maybe he has has a writing like a doctor where only he can read what he's writing. Oh, yeah, it could be shorthand. There was a BBC comedy show called The First Team um, that if no one's seen it, try and check it out. It's really funny. So there was an old Italian manager and he always had his notebook and he was in the show, he's like known for writing it. And then one of the players finds it one day and he opens it up and what's inside it is a Sudoku book. And that's what he's been writing constantly in it. So it could be that that's what Brian is doing. But whatever it's doing is working, so I can't really knock it. Let's get to some of the YouTube chat now. We normally have Zach that, that reads these out, but unfortunately Zach couldn't make it tonight. Um, I, I guess Chewie could have had an attempt, but I don't think that would have been very good. This is the first me checking the chat during the show. Oh boy, this is a lot of chat. Okay, first of all, Naveed Masinchi is congratulating me for my friend's win tonight, and he's sure that they missed having me in the locker room. I, I was disappointed not to be there. It's like I, I miss seeing Stephen Fry's donut tattoos. To be to be totally honest with you, I mean, Stephen, have you seen Stephen Fry half naked and checked out his tattoos? Sight to behold
2: that no you know there um there's some very physically imposing sounders uh of all of them i would have to say roman torres is probably the the most imposing i have seen in the locker room although uh yaimar is purported to be even larger in the chest and bicep than
1: than torres oh there's there's me with stefan thanks to her look at those tats man norbertos so it says quite rightly again we see the quality difference between seattle and vancouver Rui Diaz and Ladero, the difference makers once again. I mean, you can't ar- argue with that at all. They have difference makers that the Whitecaps just don't have or don't have on a consistent enough basis, and I, th- I think that's that's a big, big problem with the team, Steve. Yeah,
3: that's the, uh, it's the Ladero factor. The, I think he's the big, like, I know Rui Diaz scores a lot of goals, but uh, you have a guy like Ladero who can drive the play through the midfield, and I think that's Essentially what the white caps are missing. We've said a number of times. Even Chewbacca will agree that we need a number ten.
1: Well get to some more chat and some Halloween chat though. In the next part of the podcast, which for those of you listening on the podcast is gonna be coming up after this.
7: Hi, I'm Lucas Carlini. You're listening to the AFT soccer show.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of tonight's splodginess abounds Mongolian-themed songs. This one didn't actually appear in the original Holidays in Mongolia cassette and was just released in the later CD, I don't know. Not sure why. There you go, it's a cracking song, and we'll be back with two more Splodinusabounds Mongolian themed tracks later in the show. But let us get back talking football now, back talking whitecaps MLS. So, I put a question out on Twitter asking for what costumes Whitecaps players could dress up as, or people in the White Caps organisation. So Naveed, who we we're just reading the chat there, had actually tweeted that nothing is going to beat Jeff Anderson dressed up as the Riddler, as we talked about in a, an earlier show. Just before I get to some of the answers we've got, it, anyone jumps out at any of you? Any Whitecaps players, what should their costumes be? I mean, you were asking Halloween questions to to Andy Rose. Any costume that you would like to see a Whitecaps player dressed up in?
0: Yeah, that went well yesterday.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know. I'm not really big on Halloweens and costumes. I say just be really? yourself.
1: Oh, What no, would you dress I up as?
0: Uh, I wouldn't. I would just be me.
1: Oh, That's scary enough to, to be honest. Stephen, what's your go-to Halloween costume? You know, I've got the football related one. I go with the blind ref. It works every time. Chewbacca, what do you like to dress up as? I, I hear you like to dress up as Zach Meisenheimer. No? He's too hairy for you. Steve, what's your your go-to Halloween costume and what would you see some of the white caps dressed up as?
3: I don't really have a go-to. I usually do something different every year. Um, But if I were to pick a Halloween costume for a white cap player, I would probably pick a Greg Loginus outfit uh, for Christian
1: Ah, That's going back to before when Stephen was born as well. Of course, it is my wedding anniversary on Halloween, so we like to celebrate it every year. It's going to be a little bit different this year, but I always like to put the willies up, Caitlin, for our, our, our Halloween anniversary, so I'll try and do something for that for her this year. Getting to some of the notifications that we had on Twitter about this. So, yeah, Wigs Digitalism says that Freddie Montero is like Joffrey when he gets subbed off, because he's not a happy guy when he, when he gets subbed off. Kevbo at Real Kevbo says he'd like to see the whole team dressed as the 1979 NASL Soccer ball winning Whitecaps because he's never been able to cheer for a winner since. That's not true. They did win all the CSL titles in the the early 90s. So, I mean, there was that. Mama Reeves says Captain Jack Sparrow for Russell Tiber. I think that's a good one. Rod Hodkinson says Max Cropot should dress as a Fairmont hotel because you just come to expect clean sheets.
3: How about David Milinkovic as the invisible man?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, he is sick at the moment. so okay. We don't know exactly what... No, I'm talking about sometimes when he's on the pitch. Oh, yeah, he does disappear. Yeah. Navaneeth Ravichandran said, Every defensive player should dress up as blocks of cheese because they're full of holes. (sighs) And the last one we'll read. Walter Sue waterboy 99 troop says the easy one would be to dress the team up as a competent team. I guess I kind of asked for those answers when I was doing it. But we'll get into some more of the the YouTube chat now because we've got some more questions to, to kind of delve into. Now, Alberto says that he honestly thinks Robbo's counter-attack strategy against Seattle was more dangerous than what MDS did tonight. Teixeira, Reyna, Mosquita they have kept Seattle busier than Cavallini alone with Montero. What, what do you think of that, Steve?
3: Yeah, there there are good points to that. My only thing is that I will go back to that Seattle game, the two game series where they really didn't give any, the, he didn't give himself a chance to win at all. So I, that kind of muddies everything that he did against Seattle. Uh, but I think definitely at that time we were much more competitive with Seattle, so that probably did work.
1: The the walker said that Rui Diaz was offside when the ball was played through but behind the ball when passed. In their opinion, that's the same as the shot that was saved but tapped in by the player in the offside position a game or two ago. I, I can definitely see that as well. And the last one i will take from the chat just out. ILCS says, can you discuss the negative goal differential over the course of the season as well as the very low goal score in total? Looking at the stats, the Whitecaps have scored 24 goals this year, which, quick glance, is second worst in the West. Dallas have 22, Galaxy have 22, so I guess technically third worst in in the West. Their goals against is 43 compared to San Jose's 45, so they're sitting on minus 19 goal difference, which is worst by far in the league. Now, or not the league, but the the Western Conference, the defensive play, we we touched on it in the first part there, and if we look at it again tonight, it's tough to see who the best defence is out there. Har, if we're going for a back four, who would you like to see as that back four for these last two games for the Whitecaps?
0: Cornelius, 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 Derek, Cornelius, Cornelius. He needs to be starting at center back next to Godoy. Jake Nowitzki at right back, Ellie Adnan at left. I think that's the back four that's the best. I know they paid uh, a million euros to get Ranko in. I just don't think he's good enough to be starting on a consistent basis. This was DC's first start since the last game against Seattle. He I was pretty good. I thought he was solid. He was aggressive when he needed to be. His positioning was you know, pretty good con- considering uh, the two goals in the second half. So I think DC needs to be starting. I know he's been waiting patiently. I asked him about, you know, how tough it's been to you know, not get practice time and, you know, not being able to play regularly. So, you know, he's really worked hard and I think he should be getting more of an opportunity in the back line. And I think Eric Godoy and him are the best partnership back there at the centre-back position.
1: Steve, what about you? Who would be your centre-back, pair?
3: No, I think I agree with that. Cornelius. And good, I I would go with Godoy or Rankovich, whichever one you want to go for, mm-hmm. whichever, but I think Cornelius has been, yeah, he's. I think there's been a couple of games where he was in the lineup where they let in a lot of goals, but it, they weren't necessarily his fault, mo- some of those goals. But overall, they've always seemed to be those tight games. He's always the consistent person in there uh, or the consistent person in the lineup. So I think that he has deserved to be the starter I think, but I think they still want to um kind of showcase Ranko um because I do feel like he's gonna be uh in bomb where he's gonna be brought in and quickly turned around for a profit
1: Stephen watching from afar as a kind of neutral in this you've seen some good defensive performances, you've seen some horrific defensive performances against Seattle. It's not been great for the White caps. Who strikes you as being the two best center backs for for the White Caps?
2: I don't feel like I've seen enough of Ranko to to have a fully formed opinion on his long-term future in Vancouver. I, I think I'm absolutely with you guys that right now for the for the most important games of the season coming up, it's Cornelius and Godoy who should be starting. Um I just I I don't know. I think sometimes it's tough to judge a guy on his first year in MLS at all. And then particularly this season with things so badly impacted by a million different things for the Whitecaps, um, it feels like it's hard to judge a big big acquisition like that too harshly just yet.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the thing for me with Ranko is like I, I like when he's bombing forward with the ball and he looks dangerous. He's a good ball-playing centre-back. That's not what the Whitecaps are needing just now. They basically just need a, a guy that's a stopper that's there and can get rid of the danger and just deal with what a centre-back is meant to do. And for me, Cornelius brings that a, a lot more to the team. Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, I don't know if anyone saw this on Twitter, but he was putting together a number of different charts for players, Canadian players, and and Canadian teams throughout MLS. So he was doing requests as well. So I asked him to do a comparison of four centre-backs throwing Andy Rose into the mix as well. And it was it was really interesting because analysing it, to me, Godoy and Cornelius are your two best centre-backs based on those stats. And I don't think that is what we're going to see in these last two games. I think MDS likes the pairing of Ranko and Godoy, but I think we're going to be much better having Cornelius and Godoy and as Steve touched on there, there has been some mistakes this year that I think have been pinned on, on Cornelius, And I don't think that's fair because there's been a lot of blame to go around on the goals. And the thing is, you're right
3: about the whole thing right now about the center backs. I know you want to play Ranko because he can handle the ball and can move the ball forward. But this point, because their midfield is too weak, you need to go with the you know the 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 marketing uh you know, the anagram where it says uh KISS, basically keep it simple, stupid. So just keep it simple at the back. Do not try to get put people into positions where they're not going to be able to recover and and let them play defending game. And that's what Cornelius does. He plays a simple game. He gets the ball clear. He's in the right position at the right time. And he's not trying to do too much. And you got to do that right now because when they start bleeding goals, they really bleed goals a lot, which is why the goal differential is such a huge thing.
1: What about right back? Do we stick with Jake Nowinski? Do we have Bikel there? Do you move Godoy to right back and have a Ranko, Cornelius centre back pairing her? or is that just too much to to risk at this point of the season?
0: I believe I already said Nowinski should be at right back.
1: Uh, I, I I know uh, you like Jake. I I think Jake is good, but I think
3: the thing is, what you got to get into his head that is to stay in his lane as well. Don't overcompensate for somebody else's mistake. Uh, Because that back post is really – they're they're giving up a lot of goals at that back post, and they need to cover that more than in the middle.
0: He's brought some more offensive flair this season. You know, he's got two goals. He's getting forward more. He's hustling all around the pitch on the right side. But I think maybe his defensive game has struggled a little bit. I know the opposition sides, like Jordan Morris, they're really targeting his side of the field. So, you know, there's still that balance you need to have going forward and also defending. But I think having, you know, Ranko in there and bringing in Godoy and just mixing the centre-backs, I think that's been challenging, not only for, you know, the full-backs on the team, but also the goalies. So I think more familiarity, I think maybe that will settle. But yeah, I think Nowinski's a, a solid option at right-back. And he's, you know, he's second-longest tenured on the senior team. So he has familiarity with the league, with the opponents, and some of the guys on the team.
1: I threw that question out on Twitter and I shared the the charts that Pete had come up with just to kind of see what the fans were kind of looking for. So I'll read you some of these comments. 604boy said, Godoy and Ranko. In his opinion, Ranko has a future in Europe, like Steve mentioned, and the Caps would do themselves a a favour by developing him. Couch Ultras say Godoy and Cornelius 100%. Greg Petrie, Godoy and Veselinovich. Cornelius would be the one he would want in if not Vasilinovic Ubik Wintermute did say Godoy and Cornelius but we need to also balance Ranko in there so we can make a tidy profit off him in the future he has loads of potential I, I don't like I get that but for me that's not a reason to play the guy just so you can develop him to sell him on you want your best players in there and I think Cornelius has done enough to, to earn that he was out of favour in the MLS's back tournament for whatever reason. But when he came in, he, he kind of looked good. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if Cornelius actually hangs around here next season or if he maybe looks to move on. Do you guys think that Cornelius will still be with the Whitecaps next year?
3: It's all depending on what MDS wants. If MD, First of all, it's, if it's MDS is going to be here. Yeah, um, because yeah. if, because like we said, he likes a guy like that can handle the ball and uh, and Cornelius isn't that type of player, but he's 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 definitely got value with another style. If he does move on, he'll definitely be signed somewhere else, whether it's MLS or he maybe goes back to Europe.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, every day, Mister said he wants Godoy and Ranko because Ranko's young and needs playing time to develop. And I, I do get that you're only going to develop by getting playing time, which I guess actually kind of brings us on to the midfield a little bit, hard. If you're going for a midfield pairing, for these last two games, do you go with Bikel and Jingles? Do you have Baldy in there? Do you put Tyber in there?
0: Yeah, I'd like to have Baldy in there, but you know he's he's only twenty years old, and I know you know he's kind of looked at the next top midfielder, the future midfielder of this team, but he's still young, and I don't think. Uh, the coaching staff is fully comfortable with pulling them out there for, you know, the next 90 minutes each and every game. So with that being said, I'd go with Jingles and Bikel and then Rusty Tybert on that left side. You know, he has been pretty solid on the left side and Rusty's been filling in for Ali Adnan when he gets up the field. So I think that's kind of set. And then dehome on the other side and Kava and Freddie as the two strikers. I think kind of that's the set Starting eleven, we're going to see in the next two games. The question mark, I think, is the center backs. I, as I said, Cornelius, I think he should be starting, but I think MVS may revert back to the Godoy and Arankel. So we'll have to see. But yeah, the midfield's been solid, and so yeah, I don't know what he's going to do, Marcus Santos, but he'll probably go with the winning lineup that we've seen the last mm. few games.
1: Steve, who would be your your two?
3: Um, if if you're gonna go with if my choices of Cornelius and Godoy, then you're gonna have to have somebody that can uh, push the ball up, and I think Baldi is the only one of those midfielders that can do that. I think Peter did something on Baldissimo too, and yeah. he was clear and a way the most like all around midfielder. Yeah, he, he looked at
1: midfielders uh, uh, as well, and I uh, yeah. yeah, Baldi stood out by a mile it's maybe the, a lot to throw them into two big big games though i don't yeah know.
3: but why not what do you have to lose why not get this I'm guy into those kind of, oh come on man i just i just want to see this these guys get better and and because even if you get in the playoffs how long is that going to last
1: well yeah like, we'll, we'll come to that soon yeah
3: that's, that's going to last until the national anthem the playoffs <laughs> basically once the national anthem is over the game's over um but uh I think that you got to put him in cuz I not I, I'm not even seeing for the future that he's the best player. I'm seeing the present right now he's mm. one of the top 3 midfielders. Um because there's not very much to differentiate and the one thing he does well is get the ball up the field and you need to if your midfield can't do it along the deck, yeah. you might as well get that up in the air and switch play and get it to your wide areas and all that stuff to maybe create some uh attack.
1: Steven, I don't know if you've got a chance to really see much of baldissimo apart from the the games really against seattle what what have you made from any highlights and stuff you've seen of him or just the midfielders in general is there any midfielders that you've thought oh i, I don't want them playing against seattle because they're going to cause issues i
2: mean f- frankly no on the latter question um on the former though i think baldissimo looks like a you know pr- promising guy i mean i i uh Naturally, have not seen him to the extent that you folks have. Um, but that being said, he looks like um, like a good partner for Tybert. Like see, like he has a, a little bit of a of an attacking intent, ability to distribute the ball um, beyond what maybe some of the other white cap center mids I've seen have been able to do. Um, but I, I I think you know you bring up a good point. Um, excuse me, I think Steve brought up a good point. It's tough to hand over the keys to center midfield to a twenty year old, right? That's a tough thing to do. Um, but also a good point if there's nobody if there's nobody clearly better if he's the best guy should definitely play him mm-hmm. um, I, I think you know maybe going back to the point earlier about should should Ranko play because you want to sell him on eventually right I mean that's, that's not a great reason to play a guy but playing Baldissimo because he has time to develop and because he's the best guy for the position right now well that checks multiple boxes
1: yeah absolutely I, I think that's it for our, our chat really about the, the game and the the couple of games that, that's coming up. For those of you listening on the podcast, you're really lucky because it's time for this week's Wavelength. So as regular listeners will know, I like to play my punk songs in Wavelength, but they're not all punk and this week I've decided to, to take it down a little bit, go a little bit mellow and we're going back to 2010 for this week's song by an English singer-songwriter called Matt Fischel. This was a song that was released as a single in 2010 and also featured on his debut album, released in 2013, called Not Thinking Straight. It's a song sung from the perspective of a young gay schoolboy with a crush on the straight captain of the school's football team. The lyrics tell of a relationship between the two boys, but it is ambiguous as to whether or not the relationship is real or imagined in the narrator's mind. Intrigued? Well, let's hear it now. This is Matt Fischel and Football Song.
8: I'm sitting on the back of the football bus All the lads are wearing shorts and chimpanzees Talking about the game they're gonna win this afternoon And all this display of masculinity While well, it's making me feel a bit nauseous So I close my eyes and I pray it'll be over soon Now I have never functioned well at a competitive sport. I just can't find the fun, and besides, I'm far too.
1: So Matt Fischel there with Football Song, something a little bit different for you in this week's wavelength, I hope you enjoyed that, but we're going to be back talking football and back with our final song from this week's Genghis Khan and Mongolian themed album, and we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm St. Ricketts and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've taken the mood down a little. Hope it hasn't put you to sleep. That was Max Splodge, Splodgeness Abounds, with track five from their Holidays in Mongolia's cassette. That was Lullaby of Mongolia. But let's get back talking football now. We've not got too much more that we're going to delve into. I'm going to play some audio of Mark DeSantis, Lucas Cavallini and Andy Rose just talking about they want this season to to mean something. They don't want to be away from their families, giving up so much, going through all all this and then basically feel it's all, all been for nothing. So I'll bring you that audio just now. And then we'll have a little bit of a chat about it. Is, uh, it,
4: it, it. is there right now. Now it's something that is showing up a little bit. And uh, it's, becoming, uh, it's becoming a little bit more difficult for some of the guys. Uh, but every time we're in training and every time we're in games, we forget that and we're able to move on.
1: You touched on the, the mental side a, a little bit earlier as well. And, Couple of weeks ago, something that you said kind of really stuck in my head. That you want to make sure that everyone connected with the club, you are not doing these sacrifices for nothing. You are not being away from your families for for nothing. Is that like a strong message that you are going to focus on over these next four games? That look, you've you've given up a lot to do this. Let's make sure that they they definitely count.
4: Yeah, it's the the major message that we have between us is. If, if we're going through all of this, we have to try to make it count. And for us, making it count is step one. Can we be in the top eight in our division and be in the playoffs? So we, we're very focused and everybody wants it. Uh, there's, uh, there's this side that is really hard about this year uh, because when you think about going to MLS is back in Orlando and where we are now. It seems like all year, if you put the preseason in LA, uh, sorry, in San Diego and Portland, we feel this year didn't exist. We feel that we've been away all the time and we haven't been home and always at an hotel. So this, the amount of sacrifices that everybody has put in uh, brings us to, to think that this only makes sense if we make it count. It only makes sense if we make something big out of this. And and we hope that we're going to be able to to achieve something. That's our objective.
1: Mark talked about wanting to make sure that this season meant something for all the sacrifices that you guys have kind of given up and being away from family and loved ones. And he said that's basically going to be the main message now going into these four games how much would it hurt if you went through all this and there was nothing to show at the end of it?
7: Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. Um, I mean all this time away from home, the sacrifices we're making, we have to make the the best out of it. You know, um, I don't want to go home with empty hands. I want to go home um, to my family uh, with with something. You know, something that 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 really you know, showed what everything meant uh, for me and obviously the, my teammates as well. Um, so that's going to depend on us and depends on how, how, how badly we want it.
6: You know, I'm a dad and I can't imagine what you guys are going through. Uh, what is that feeling like when you walk through the door and see your, your kids and your wife uh, for the first time in so long? And then what is it like to have to leave them again after such oh. a short period?
7: I mean, it's when I walk home. When I walk in that door, it's like lifting up the trophy. You know what I mean? Um, but I want that same feeling here in the club. I mean, we have two families. We have the one at home and our family here. So I want that same feeling I, I get when I arrive to my house. Um, obviously, for the short period of time where we're at home. Uh, goodbye. The goodbyes are tough, you know. the – Time goes by fast, and you spend as much time as you can, but you know two days not enough, but but at least we get to see them. it's been hard, but you know at the end of the day we gotta we gotta make it worth something.
1: Last week we spoke to Mark and we spoke to Kava just about wanting this season to to mean something that you're not away from your home, you're not away from your families for nothing. Just to get you kind of taken that, it's like having been home when the team's allowed to go home and then getting away, just how difficult it is just to see your family fleetingly and how much you want to make this season actually count for something.
9: I completely echo their, their statements. It's... Um you know when you when you when we all look back on this year we we want to be proud of the way we we handled every situation everything that's been thrown at us i think as a as a club we've had to really persevere through an awful lot this season in terms of you know when you when you go back to the beginning and uh you know when you go back all the way to the beginning really with coming off a a great win down in LA and then Having uh, such a long break, and and the players that couldn't go to the MLS back tournament, and then immediately reintegrating and having to go on a really tough road trip to to Toronto and Montreal, Um, there's been an awful lot for us to persevere through as a group, and to come out where we are now with uh, a lot more wins than than many of our counterparts in in you know where we are in the standings. I think is a testament to the mentality to the coaches for, for keeping everybody going. And without a doubt, we, we want to be able to go back to our families when all is said and done and be very proud of, of what we did as individuals and as a group. Uh, that's the most important thing. There's coming to the really the business end of the season now where everything counts. We've put ourselves in a, in a good position with, with these last few games to go. And um, man, just to, to get above that line to push on through, uh, to make the playoffs. Uh, it's, it's just, it's the most important thing to everybody. And then we can, um, you know, take it from there at that point, anything can happen. So the, the, the biggest thing still, um, another thing I've, I've tried to to reiterate to, to guys is to just go one day at a time right now. And certainly one game at a time, try not to look too far ahead. It's so easy to start calculating points, but, uh, you know, all the teams we're fighting with, you know, the fact that they have to play against each other, when you start looking too deep into that, um, it can take your focus away from the task at hand. And, and right now for us, that's a game tomorrow against, uh, you know, one of the best teams in the conference, um, a team, like you said, we, we, we've lost two twice this season and we need to respond to that. Um, so I think we're all just looking forward to, to continuing what we've been doing these last few weeks uh, and get back on the pitch.
1: So Marta Santos, Lucas Cavallini and Andy Rose there just talking about wanting this season to mean something. And it's tough. It, it, it's tough for everyone involved with the team right now. Being stuck in the hotel. Uh, as Stephen mentioned, Brian Schmitz has mentioned how, how difficult it is. They, they want it to actually count for something. And I think that's one of the biggest motivations going for the, for the team in these last two games. Yeah, they want a playoff spot. And once you're in the playoffs, realistically anything can happen. I don't think we're good enough to compete with the best teams in the West, let alone all of MLS. Getting to the playoffs seems like it would be a massive achievement. And for what the guys have gone through, I I don't I'm not trying to really downplay and say oh it's like winning the MLS Cup, but it's a it's a big achievement. If they can get that far This is massive to to them. It's going to feel worthwhile.
0: I think inside the Whitecaps locker room and the organization, it's going to be a massive achievement, like you said, for them to accomplish that, you know, considering having to play in the United States, having to travel the day of games when they're on the road, you know, the COVID situation and all the players that are missing in Orlando. So from that standpoint, it would be huge for the organization, for the confidence of the players. It would be, a massive uh, achievement to be able to play in the playoffs, even if it's just maybe one game against, you know, a top team like Seattle, you know, they're all fighting to make the playoffs and, and this 2020 we've, you know, we've had all these curveballs in sports. And so it would be monumental if they made the playoffs. I don't give them a big chance if they get in, I'm still skeptical that they will, make the playoffs right now. So we'll have to see what happens, but that's what they're fighting for. And if they've got the determination to do that, then, you know, they could be in with a shout, you know, they're still in a playoff spot right now. The other teams have a few games in hand, so we'll see how close it gets. And, you know, if there's a tie on points, you know, they have the the breaker with most wins. Yeah, They've got eight, so they've got that too. And so we'll see what happens, but it could happen for sure. and, And it would be a great boon to the team. And
3: the thing is and the, the one thing is is you know that they um, they will be, you know, if you can recall the MLS back tournament, I think it was Chicago was their third game. And when they won that, they were super like they were right into it. That's what they wanted to do. They almost collapsed on the field a lot of them. Um, they were celebrating like they had won the MLS tournament already, even though they just advanced the next round. So you know that they that's what they want. So I have no doubt that that's what their goal is and if they get there, uh, they'll see it as a huge accomplishment.
1: Stephen, looking in from afar and knowing what the White Cats are going through, hearing like Brian Schmitz are talking about it, a lot of fans around the league haven't really fully understood what the Canadian teams are having to go through just now. Do, do you feel that's fair to say? Do you, do you think it is known? they're not getting to go home because they're having to stay in another country for every single game for basically like two months. I I don't think that type of thing gets brought up much. And I think,
2: you know, probably a lot of the, the more unpleasant sides of soccer during COVID get glossed over by, by fans and journalists who are happy for the distraction. Um, and you know, I, I don't think I've been on the, on the right side of this all the time, but I think I've probably come off a little bit cynical compared to some others when it comes to just playing soccer at all. Um, you know, maybe this wasn't the best year for it. Maybe, maybe everybody should be home with their families, right? Um, I'm so happy I, to I, call I, this season now and just bring it to an end. And so, I, I don't, I don't think that people have given adequate. Simply put, I don't think people have given adequate attention to just how difficult it is for Vancouver. And it also might be one of those things where, where unless you're experiencing it and living it, it
1: might be tough to, mm. to, to really understand it. I mean, the, the mental toughness is. Uh, I, I can't imagine. Being away from your family for that long, and like the the audio that's played in the podcast, JJ Adams had asked Kava because they they go home when they've got a chance because they're allowed to fly in by charter, out by charter, and they've got two days at home with their family. So JJ had asked Kava what's it like when you go in and your kids come up to you, but then what's it like when you've got to leave again two days later? And Mark's talked about you're starting to see that hitting the players now and it's starting to to play a little bit on them mentally. And, I mean, it, it's taken its toll. I, but even, despite that, they want to get into the playoffs knowing they'll be away from their family further, but they have to feel that they've done this for something.
2: And you just really feel like, I, or I feel like that's... that's um... You know, the, the idea that you come through something that difficult together as a group and have some success out of it and, and have something you can point to as a tangible result from it, like making the playoffs, that's that's something for that group to to build off of. And and maybe, maybe it's a mentality, maybe it's keeping that, you know, the core and trying to build off of it with with strong acquisitions this offseason. But really it it seems like the foundation for a mentality
3: for the team. I was going to say, as the only person on the stream with kids, sometimes it's mm. uh, you feel like you want to be away from your family for a little bit. But I can totally understand that because uh, I don't think Chewbacca had ever had kids. Um, so um, I'm not sure if that's in the lore or not. But the yeah, sometimes you just feel like you want to be. But you, I can understand like once you're away for like a week, then you do want to come back. So I can totally
1: see that uh, coming into play. Did Chewbacca not have a wife and kids in the Christmas special?
3: I think that's been deleted from um uh... Let, Let's ask
1: Chewy. I think he's I think... shagging a goat just now, so maybe no yeah. kids. Although goats do have kids, so there we go. Head it straight from Chewbacca's mouth. I it, it, it's it's certainly tough for, for the team. And but we'll look at the standings. Right now. The Whitecaps are in a playoff position. They are sitting in 7th in the West with a points-per-game total of 1.14. Now, that, for all the teams in the playoff places in the West, is the worst. You look at the teams in the East, and it's surprisingly not the worst. Five of the 10 places in the East have already been clinched, but Seattle's been the only team to have clinched a a playoff spot in the West. So before we delve into what the rest of the season's kind of looking like, I've got to ask Stephen. They've clinched their playoff berth now. They're pushing for first place in the West. What have you made of the the Sounders season to this point?
2: I I think think they've had a very good year. Um, Like we talked about last time I was on the show, I think they've put together probably their strongest squad so far in MLS this season. Uh, maybe the biggest concern for him at the moment is just getting some guys a little bit of rest before playoffs. Uh, I think you can see the last few games, the attack hasn't been quite up to speed where it was before that. A little bit more difficulty playing between lines and creating chances against teams who are sitting in real deep. Um, but that being said, I think if you can get Ladero weekend off, um, get everybody, get everybody uh, on the same page uh, going into the playoffs, I think they're going to be tough to beat. Uh, in particular, um, Nuhu, great assist tonight. If they can get him subbed out of there, get Joven Jones or Brad Smith on in his place, uh, I really don't see a hole in this lineup. And I think that um, certainly LAFC, Portland, somebody like that could beat them again, as they have, you know, as they've dropped results in the last few weeks. Um, but I'm, I'm uh, feeling pretty confident about Seattle's chances headed into the Western Conference half of the playoffs.
1: Let's just finish the show off by having a look at the standings and what lies ahead in the coming weeks. Now, we chatted about this with Steve. So I want to get Har and Stephen's thoughts on this. So we'll get Har's first of all. Initially, they were not going to have a supporters shield presented this year because it was an unbalanced schedule and everything like that. That decision has now been like overridden and they are going to present it. Which surely you're having a season. Why would you not present the supporter shield?
0: I definitely think they should have uh, awarded to the team that finishes top of the MLS, MLS table in the supporter shield. I don't know why they wouldn't. I feel like the decision to kind of take that away was not a unanimously made season. I think it was done hastily. I don't think everyone was on board. It shouldn't have taken TFC and Greg Vanny getting up in arms to reinstate it and then the league getting involved and then all these statements coming out from different groups. So, yeah, I'm glad they rectified it. They got it sorted. You know, you're still having a season. You're still playing the games. It may be, like, discombobulated, you know, Canadian teams having to play in the States, but it's still a season. You know, you wouldn't cancel the the L.A. Dodgers – winning the World Series because, you know, it's a COVID, it's a different kind of season.
1: You well, would still I, I have would because I'm a San Francisco Giants fan and I hate the Dodgers. But aside from that, I, get, I do get your point. What I thought was hilarious was the team, as you mentioned there, that had the biggest outrage about it was Toronto, the players, their management and their supporters. Then as soon as it's reinstated, they get hammered by Philadelphia and they're probably not going to win the support shield now anyway. That was funny.
0: The TFC army at work again. Yes,
1: Stephen. What, what was your thoughts on it when, when you heard initially that there wasn't going to be a supporter shield awarded? We we are still having a season. I I it baffles me that they'd come to that conclusion. The right decision's now been made, but just what's your take on it all?
2: Yeah, you know, I actually come down on the other side of this one. Um, I think that after oh. MLS's back was over and the regionalized phase for what, what, what do they call it? Phase one after that was announced um, to me, it looked pretty clear that we weren't going to have a normal enough season to award a regular season championship. Um, you know, Seattle, Vancouver, Portland, they're not even going to end up playing everybody in their own conference, let alone yeah. getting a chance to play everyone in the league. Uh, the Canadian clubs aren't going to get to play home games for everything after July. Right. Um, there was the, the, the period of time where the Canadian clubs were just playing each other over and over again. Right. Um, so, I mean, the, the, there have been some real oddities to it, but just w- once you got to regionalized play to me, that was the point where a shield didn't make sense anymore. Um, I, I think maybe the biggest mistake with it was not announcing it sooner that they didn't want to, to award the trophy. I think that by waiting, that's probably what pissed people off. And I think that it would have been a lot more palatable to folks uh, if you had, if they had done it sooner. Yeah. I have no idea why they waited until like a couple of weeks before the end of the season. And so that was strange. And then just, I mean, and I get why MLS wouldn't like this point, but just the last point to it for me is, is I just feel like it's a good thing for our competitions as a whole to be controlled by more people than just the MLS owners, right? Like, you know, we, we, we shouldn't just give them control of all the trophies. I I, I think it's good that, you know, CSA USSF run their own tournaments. I think it's good that that this independent supporters council has a hold of a different tournament and um, of the supporter shield. And I've certainly seen a lot of a lot of talk about self entitled, self righteous supporters getting in the way of the game, getting in the way of common sense, on and on. But for me, I think I, I I thought this was a legitimate check and balance where it's supporters saying, kind of saying, Hey, look, you know, we we probably shouldn't have even been playing it all this year, and we're certainly not having a normal season. And so we're, gonna, we're, gonna recognize that. we're going to recognize that. We're going to pay respect to that by not awarding this trophy like it's a normal season. And, and to me, it, it, A, that decision made sense, but, but removed from that, having multiple groups of people make that decision and come to different conclusions is okay for me. Mm. And, and I get why MLS does not want supporters thumbing their nose at them saying, no, we're not going to give out a trophy. We don't think your year is legitimate or whatever they, they uh, infer from that. Uh, but, anyways, I, I I know you guys feel differently on it. I, I I obviously get the other side of the coin where where you did play a season. There is objectively a single table that you can line all the
3: clubs up in, and there is one who's at the top. So, well, the thing is, MLS has never been a f- even scheduled. Yes, uh, they, they've never. Uh, but the thing is, if, if hindsight being twenty twenty, it it might have been ideal to h- hand the supporter shield to the MLS back tournament uh, winners. Mm-hmm. Um, because considering they did it for the fans. Um, And so I, I think that might have been the better thing, but I, get to, I can totally see where you would say that it's not, uh, you know, shouldn't be awarded because of that. But again, th- it was the timing of it. They should have announced that way earlier because they knew this was going to be that type of season uh, uh, a lot earlier, like especially when the, that tournament came in. They knew there wasn't going to be a balanced schedule. People were going to be shifted in regions. So if you're going to do that at that time, then you should have uh, adjusted it way back
1: when. So that's it for this part of the show. We will be back talking more standings and what this season run-in might look like. And we'll be back with all of that after this.
6: Hi, I'm Ryan Raposo, and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Eight hundred years ago, Europe awoke to a terrible army which suddenly appeared out of the eastern mists. Very little was known about it. What was known was terrifying. It had already annihilated everything and everyone who dared stand in its path. These were the Mongols, the Tatars, the Devil's Horsemen.
8: Living a nomadic
6: life, marble temples, cool These are the things that make the moguls so great Civil war, sacred steps, chopping knots, and Chinese eggs These, These are the things that make the moguls so great
1: Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the last of tonight's Mongolian-themed songs from Max Splodge and Splodginess Abounds. That was The Things That Made the Mongols Great. Hope you've enjoyed that weird and wonderful selection that I've brought you. If anyone is curious, some of the other tracks that were on the cassette. To Mongolia, Last Train to Mongolia, Go Be a Go Go, Mongols in the Mist, Mongi Tonight, Holidays in Mongolia, and Mongol McGill. Maybe I'll bring you some of those in a future show. And I know some of you that know Splodginess Abounds were probably surprised that we didn't feature their all time classic, Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisp Please. How can you have them as Artists of the Month without playing that? Well, we did feature that song last month in one of our Three of a Kind segments, so that's the main reason for that. Not sure what you made of those songs. I love them. I love the whole album. I just love weird and wonderful tracks like that. We're going to be back with a new Artist of the Month in next week's show. Who could it be? Find out soon. But we'll round things up now by just getting back to talking football. I'm gonna play some audio now of Mark DeSantis chatting about the playoff rules which still have not been decided upon. And then we'll talk a little bit about that. So let's hear from MDS just now.
4: You know, I I still don't have a clear a clear indication on that, unfortunately. I don't want to say anything that is that it's not clear right now. Our, our focus, JJ, right now is to finish above that line, and uh, at the same time, win the most games possible that we can. And then, you know, if we could fight until the end to be in that top eight, that's 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 what we want. Uh, so, right now, it's a little bit out of our control. Uh, the decision regarding that, you even add the league deciding a little bit later that there would not be a champion of supporter shield. And it's just a season where we're 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 kind of putting band-aids into situation and moments and It's been very challenging, but the importance is that there is an MLS season and we're carrying on with with everything that is happening. And us, our job is to try to win as much games as we can and and be in a position that at the end we could be above that line. The ones we have a certain amount of points in our head that it's minimum needs to try to, to finish in the top eight. Uh, You have to to think that teams like Real Salt Lake, uh, Galaxy, San Jose are going to all play between each other. Uh, They're going to have to take points away from each other also. So, you know, the amount of points that we're going to need, it's all going to depend on on COVID, if there's new cases or not. It's going to depend on uh, the results of the other teams battling with us. Uh, so there's there's still so much that could happen uh, that we we were just focused right now on the San Jose game, but what I think is the the schedule has been very different for for all the teams. Uh, if you think about 23 game schedule, uh, 11 of our 23 games. So 11 is almost half, almost half of our, our of our games. I've been against the Supporters Shield champion against the. Um, MLS Cup finalist, uh, the other MLS Cup champion, uh, the MLS is back champion. So we've had a a very tough schedule uh, where half of our games have been against four best teams in the league. So uh, we think that it's just a weird way of going about things where this year it's so unbalanced everything that the only thing we have to think about is Who's our next opponent? What's our next game? And how can we win our next game?
1: Basically, what MDS is saying is he's kind of heard murmurs as to what's going to be used to decide this season because we've got the big issue that as of right now, the White Cats have played seven more games than Colorado. And we've got just over two weeks of the season left to go. And there's clearly no way that Colorado are going to play all their games. So looking at the standings just now, if they switch to points per game, which has been one of the rumoured things might have to be, the Whitecaps are screwed. Because right now their points per game is 1.14. Colorado's sitting on 1.36 out of the playoff positions, second bottom in the West. What I don't understand, and we'll just get all, all your thoughts on this, we'll start off with Har. How can you be leaving it to just over two weeks of the season to go, And nobody knows yet what is going to decide these playoff places.
2: I don't think it can be points per game. To me, if they do it on points per game, I think it will be the biggest detriment to the competition's integrity since countdown clocks and 35-yard shootouts. Um, It just simply isn't acceptable. You can't do it. Uh, You can't take away the opportunity for three points for the clubs who are supposed to play Colorado in those games. There's just, you can't do it. You can't out. You can't say it's good enough for Seattle to give them 1.6 points times two for the, tw- for the two games they should play against Colorado. They've got an opportunity to take six points to get, to get to the top of the conference there. And uh, other clubs have completed their games against mm-hmm. the Rapids and have had the opportunity to play them. And they're a very mid middling squad for, for top teams. That's a good opportunity for three points. Um, that, the The problem is, is that it doesn't look very nice to punish someone for getting COVID, right? Like it doesn't yeah. look nice to punish their team for that. But the reality is, is that's the bullshit situation MLS put us well, in yeah. playing this year. I'll also, and now, and now they're just what, afraid to go through with it. But
1: you can't punish everybody else. No, for that. what they're doing in Scotland is they're looking to see if teams have followed protocols properly, and if they haven't, then they're just going to make them forfeit the games three nil.
3: Yeah and it's it's about like I think I I think we spoke about it on the last podcast and I, I think I muddled up the term but it's about institutional control and I know Stephen probably knows a little about this from the NCAA that they'll always punish the entire program if a few people screw up because they they need to have the whole thing under control and 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 they knew the protocols that they needed to follow going into the season and if they couldn't take care of it then they, they should be I know it's not fair to be punished for a disease, but um, it's it's essentially what what everybody has to go through the same rules. And how come other teams were able to handle it, and some teams weren't? Uh, Dallas and Nashville, they essentially got kicked out of their tournament, uh, mm-hmm. where they probably lost, uh, you know, they probably lost some money because of the fact that there was TV revenue that they probably lost out on. Possibly, I don't know what the rules are there.
2: And ju- just to be clear, you know, I don't I don't blame the Rapids for getting coronavirus repeatedly like i i I don't have any intel that this is because they're not following protocol or anything like that i i I think it could just be luck of the draw just bad luck that they get it it's just that mls has made the decision to have this season knowing full well that this could happen to one or more of their clubs and so now i just don't know why we're going to go and get all sentimental about it now that it's happened and act like it's some big deal that colorado is going to have to forfeit seven or eight soccer games and that's just the only right answer well the thing is as
1: well a strong take on this one
0: he's fired
1: up i I totally agree with you because the thing is realistically this could be the situation for next year as well the way that things are going with the border not getting opened the canadian teams might have to play in the us again next year mds alluded to that on on his call this week that he kind of thinks that's happening tonight after the game he said that Basically, everyone just wants the season finished as soon as possible because there's a lot of worry as to what might happen in the US with with coronavirus over the coming weeks and months. So, I mean, who knows what's happening there. Have you all heard what's happened with Minnesota and Colorado tomorrow regarding Kai Kamara? So, apparently there was a gentleman's agreement that when Kamara went to Minnesota, he would not play against Colorado when the teams met which of course are now doing tomorrow, Colorado's back in action. So there's another bone thrown towards Colorado there.
0: Stephen, That's some shady stops. business.
3: Yeah. Some shady business. No, but I've I've heard of that in other places too. Like uh, especially loan agreements. When it, I don't know if this was a loan or was it a tra- no. They just said it was a
1: gentle. Uh, Adrian Heath <clears throat> said it was a gentleman's agreement. Well, was it a full transfer? Or was he was he loaned to Minnesota? It wasn't no, loan it's to full f- transfer.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, but I've seen I've heard it in loans where the the <laughs> loan. The, oh yeah, yeah. The lo- loan loans. Player, yeah, loans yeah. is
1: understandable.
3: But maybe that if that was part of the deal, that was part of the deal. I don't see it as being that. Heinous. i do see it's kind of shady but it's definitely not uh, something I, I haven't heard of before
2: just to be clear if kamara sat out against all of his former clubs in mls the guy had never played again
1: yeah there is that aspect of it as well <laughs> yeah,
3: but i think you can only do it for like a season you can't do it
1: for like multiple years yeah but i mean looking at some of the games that's coming up you've got minnesota colorado on wednesday so i mean that's now massive the Timbers play the Galaxy, which you think if the Timbers win, the Galaxy is going to probably be out of the reckoning. But there's some big games coming up, like tomorrow. San Jose-Real-Salt Lake. Huge implications there. Saturday, Dallas and Houston. Two teams again battling it in the playoff spot. So, I mean, that could have massive things there. So, when you start to look at these teams playing each other... Colorado's got to play Seattle. If Colorado can get these games in, lose to Minnesota, lose to Seattle, all of a sudden their points per game thing starts to fall as well. Obviously, you you need the Whitecaps caps to, to do the business, but yeah.
3: And Seattle, I think, is their only a home game. The other three are all away. The so yes. they're gonna against tough opponents. Yeah. So that that's not gonna be easy for Colorado.
1: Galaxy play RSL, San Jose play LAFC. So I mean that's a couple of tough things there. Dallas have to go to Nashville. So there's a lot of teams round about the White Caps that, that could lose points here. And I mean Salt Lake have to play sport in Kansas City and San Jose have to play Seattle in the, the last game games of the season. So I, I think there's hope for the for the White Caps. But I'll read some tweets out as to how the fans are feeling about it all just now. Carlos A. Nalberto said What's the magic number for the Caps that would mean they would miss the playoffs? Well, right now, it's just far too hard to say. You kind of have to feel they need to take something from their last two games, so at least four points, but ideally six. I don't think 27 will be enough. Taft 1872 at Muffet Andrew Lee said, No chance. Don't deserve to either. Greg Baxter says please just let it end. I think that is a feeling a, a lot of folk have for this season just now, just in general, and of course for 2020. Ryan Burns at Authentic Me 13 said, A point I feel that deserves discussion is how MDS has, in my opinion, mismanaged his squad in the past few weeks and ridden 11-13 to 13 players to the point that he felt he needed to rotate so many in tonight some into odd positions and into such a bus part approach, and he feels that's what led to the, the loss tonight. What I would say about that though is when you looked at the fixtures, and even like going back a couple of weeks, I, I spoke to MDS on one of the calls about normally in the business end to the season, teams, managers, they want to go with consistency, they want to go with a set starting eleven really that they do kind of ride into the ground now obviously this is a bit different because they're away from home they're playing games a lot more regularly I think if you looked at the fixtures that were coming up and you looked at what games you thought you could take points from and what games you thought you maybe couldn't take points from this Seattle one stands out glaringly That's one of the matches that I don't think we would have taken anything from. So I think it makes sense to try and ride them into the the ground before this and then just rest this and kind of not throw this one away, but just go for a, a reduced lineup in the hope that you might grab something from it, but not expecting it. I don't know that you could say it's mismanagement because I would have wanted the teams that were out for these last couple of games to have been the teams that got there. And on the whole, we've taken point from them. The Galaxy game didn't go, obviously, according to plan. But I think he has managed to score actually quite well. Greg Ollison says, A win coming against Portland, leading to, fittingly, the tie to a woeful Galaxy, to solidify our exit. That seems exactly what is due to come. Top of the box, FC. Even if we did, it would only be for one match. This team isn't making a run. We will talk about that later in this part. Ryan Burns comes back and says, On whether they will make the postseason, my feeling is no, and also that they don't deserve to, and it is better if they don't. Too many in the squad aren't good enough, MDS has not coached well enough, and qualifying would, for some, also in the club, validate this season's poor effort. The Bad Wolf said, It's so difficult to stay in 8th place in the Western Conference. It is going to be tough, but we'll look at some of the the fixtures that those inner around us have because they are going to be playing each other. Bob Zoppi says goal differential second worst in the league, goals for tied for fourth in conference with all other teams below or tied with less games played. Nothing makes me believe they will make the playoffs. I would say the big thing they've got in their favour is the fact that they have eight wins and no draws and the first differential is number of wins, so that is possibly a key thing there. Hopefully the goals then don't come into it. Peter Zimmerman, at X C Zimmy said, Playoffs are good for morale. We likely won't have a chance beyond the first round, but getting into the playoffs is really just a mental strength exercise from now on. Whoever wants it more will get it. It'll be fine. Panos Bilalakis said, How can the Sounders have their impact players constantly be in the right place to make the critical play? Yet the Caps impact players seem to be making the wrong decisions or kicking long balls that tend to go wayward. Such a contrast with each team. And we got Stephen's thoughts on that earlier and it is a big, big difference. You look at teams like Seattle and some of the other teams in MLS some of the top teams and the White Caps just seem... So far off the pace with that. Also, doesn't really seem like something that can be fully addressed in the next couple of transfer windows or one season. So, I think we are a couple of seasons away, if ever, of getting to that level. Seattle have just built things so well. They've got that continuity, they've got that consistency, and they've just added so well to their squad and brought through the homegrowns that they've brought through as well, like Jordan Morris. Robin Bristow says, I'd like to see them get in as it would be a good experience for the young guys. Will they? Not so sure. They needed at least a point from this game, he feels. I still go back to that Galaxy game, and I think that point that they lost there could be massive in, in the grand scheme of things. Carlos A. Nobertos comes in again and says, I'll agree with hard journalists' comments on your show a while back. Close, but no cigar. Also, if they miraculously make the playoffs... Do you really want to see them get blown up in the first round? Well, we'll come to that. But I, I do think just getting there is just a, a massive achievement. I know for some it's going to be like, well, it's just like a participation medal. But with everything they've gone through, it's just psychologically, it is just a massive thing. Going back to what, what Ryan Burns said earlier, I know some will use to validate that it's been a worthwhile season and a success. And it hasn't. I think you can have both. I think you can think it has been an achievement, but know that it hasn't been a great season as well. But we'll see what plays out. Oz Sweeney says, No, they won't make the playoffs. Been some nice positive signs slowly coming off late, but not nearly enough in more games than not. Missing the playoffs once again, mixed with mass season ticket holder cancellations, will hopefully finally be the kick in the ass the club needed years ago. But let's be honest, minimal change is coming. 604boy RC says, why can't we have nice things like Seattle and Portland? Because frankly, our scouting in the past has been terrible. Skybuller, Eskybuller92, I'm pretty invested in finishing this season without a draw at this point. I am too. That would be fantastic. And as I said earlier, having that and having the wins we've got could really, really help us. I mean, we've got eight wins now from 21 games, which is the same amount of wins that we had in all of last season from 34 games. Peter Seward, Shooter Dr RD says, a woeful season and another example of how much better the Sounders are compared to Tier three caps. Some glimmers of hope against poor teams, but as soon as they play quality, they get found out. MDS has not done enough for me, and the club is still being as mismanaged as ever. Connor Turner, CT Overdrive, says, I'd say a 50-50 chance that they make it. Based on how they are playing, they probably at least need one win out of the last two games. If they win both, they're in for sure, he feels. I would say a win and a tie also gets them in, although the most caps ending to the season would be for them to make it then have the Rapids replace them as, as MLS adjusts the standings to points per game and then for San Jose to drop out due to a Covid infection, putting the Caps in last spot. And C.D. Pryor, uh, I like this one, says, given the kind of year that it's been, the White Caps will not only make the playoffs, but will be poised to win before the season is abandoned due to post-election unrest in the US. This is 2020. I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. So thanks so much for everyone's tweets there. Sorry if there was any that I did miss out on. There was a a lot coming through. But last thing I'll ask you guys, and then I'll let you go. We did this a couple of weeks ago, but let's do it again. We'll start with Har. Yay or nay, are the Whitecaps going to make the playoffs?
0: Well, I can't remember what I said last time when I was on your show. I probably said no, so I should probably stick with that. I will say no.
1: Stephen?
2: I am glad to switch, glad and frankly surprised, maybe even shocked, to switch answers from my last appearance on the show and give an emphatic and resounding yes. I do believe the Whitecaps will make the playoffs, and I think they'll do it with a victory over LA Galaxy on decision day.
3: Steve, I agree that I think they, they can make it. The next game is going to be huge. Um, if they can pull out a result against Portland, um, then I think they got an excellent chance because I don't think the Galaxy are going coming to Portland are going to make put, put that much of a mm-hmm effort into the last game
1: Chewy always the pessimist Chewy always the pessimist I think if the Whitecaps win their last two games they will do it I don't think they'll beat Portland I think they might get a point and then it's going to be really tight I think they need six to, to get in I hope I'm wrong I'd love them to get in just for everything that they've gone through once they get there I don't see them going far. That That is the other big issue. I think they're likely to be one and done, but you're down to cup football and then anything can happen. It just feels so, and this is the last thing we'll, we'll touch on. It it feels hard. Now, this is a team that just is not competitive with the top teams in the West right now.
0: They're just not consistent, you know. They beat LAFC, but then they lose to the Galaxy. They're in two tough games against the Sounders, but in the second half, Seattle just turns it on and, you know, takes control of the game. So they have some key players, some performances where they're strong for 45, maybe 60 minutes, but there's not just the consistency where they can do that for a full 90 in a lot of games. And I know Mark doesn't like to use the consistency word considering what they've had to go through this year. That's so okay. If- the C
1: word is allowed in this show.
0: No, it's not. And so, yeah, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Uh, I remember last time I was on, I said they would only get six more points. Well, they already have six since I was on, so maybe they can get a few more points. They haven't drawn yet, so maybe if the teams around them can get a draw, it might help them.
1: Yeah, I I hope we can go the whole season with no draws. I mean, that would be fantastic. Stephen, if they do make it to the playoffs, can you see them doing anything?
2: Um. You know, darn, Michael. I was hoping that you'd ask me about getting there because that was that was the rosier picture. Because I think twenty seven, <laughs> I, I think twenty seven points is enough unless MLS screws them with points per game. Um, but I really do. I think twenty seven will get them in, and that's just the result mm. against Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think once you get into the playoffs, the the neat thing about MLS is that m- maybe its greatest value to society beyond just our little group here. Is that it is such a great analog for the cold, random, chaotic nature of the universe, where just when you think you know exactly what's going to happen and that there's no chance that anything different could happen, the, the, the league tosses it on its head essentially just to say screw you and, and, and to
1: let you know that you don't know as well as you think you do. Um, and well, it's and I kept know. it interesting this year for sure. It's twists and turns galore. And so, can I can I
2: imagine a way right now that Vancouver upset Seattle or Portland in the first round of the playoffs? No, frankly, I can't. But I also know that the beauty of MLS is that is that
1: there's that one in ten thousand that'll just you know try its hardest to pop up. Colorado Rapids are probably going to win the whole thing now by, by the looks of it. Anyway, Steve, if they get to the playoffs, will they do anything?
3: Well, I joked earlier that it'd be over at the anthem, but yeah. uh, but I I think Steve's right. I think anything can happen. Uh, but I don't see it happening. It's hard to like actually like I would definitely would not put any money on it. Um, so I definitely don't think uh, there is much of a chance.
1: I'm going to bet your house on it, Steve. Okay, cool, cool. I won't ask Chewie because we know what his answer is going to be. Well, but he's that...
3: been he's been he's been very pessimistic ever since his friend Han Solo died. So he doesn't look really at the oh spoiler. Side Sorry.
1: When did he die?
3: Sorry about that. I thought you watched the movies.
1: Anyway, that is it for this episode of the show. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. Let's start with Har.
0: You can find my work at Equalizer Soccer, Daily Hive, and Pro Soccer. When I'm not on the forelow. I will actually have a story coming out tomorrow about a footballer. Oh, Crystal clear story, so you'll have to keep it locked to see...
1: Oh, I, well, thought that was the, I thought that was the name of the player. I thought it was one of the female ones, Crystal Clear. I thought I'd never heard of her.
0: No, that was Crystal Dunn.
1: Oh. So you oh. have to
0: see, I talked to some of her North Carolina former teammates about the trade last week from North Carolina to Portland. So mm. big deal. Talked to them today. This has been my third Zoom. So I'm uh, glad that we're almost done. So you can check out my work tomorrow, Equalizer, Twitter, Hard Journalist. You know where to find me. Uh, Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Thank you for joining us, Har. Stephen, where can people find you online?
2: You can check out my podcast at Radio underscore Cascadia on Twitter or at RadioCascadiaSoccer.com, and you can find me personally at Stephen underscore Agen on Twitter. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It was so much fun doing this with you tonight.
1: Yeah, always a pleasure. Really appreciate both of you giving your, your time up tonight. I know it's really late now. Steve as well, thank you. I know you're a busy guy and you're working tomorrow, but where can people find you online? On Twitter at Whitecapsbeat. And Chewy, where can people find you online? He's, he, yeah, He's on he's on all the social
3: platforms at harrychewbacca.com.
1: Oh, oh, talking of Harry Chewbacca. No, let's. We'll, we'll go off tangent if I start talking about Harry back that, that was my nickname for my ex-girlfriend Claire as well. Anyway, I am Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTNCanada. You can also read all our stuff away from the numbers AFTN.ca. And I think Chewbacca's a, having a seizure. I know, sorry. it's I to like want to make i sure keep okay. a straight face here. <laughs> <laughs> And you can also follow us on this channel if you're watching on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, do the thumbs up, uh, turn on notifications, smash the stuff. I think that's what the, the kids are saying these days anyway. But thank you everyone for watching. Thank you everyone for listening. Thanks all of you guys for joining. Go back to whatever galaxies you have all come from and we'll talk again soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care